equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to 1 of 200 We've got a midweek episode for you uh, today, this evening, this afternoon, whenever this drops, uh, we are covering the education sector today, and we've got two returning co-hosts. I'm joined by Adam. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Kia ora, kia ora. And Pmax, welcome. Kia ora. So I think last time uh, we had the two of you on, it was maybe almost exactly a year ago. Uh, mm. Does that sound right? More or less. Uh, and we're talking about... Uh, air standards uh alongside a, a range of other things oh gosh right yeah yeah, yeah. covid response the whole thing yeah well lack thereof oh yeah well lack thereof <laughs> but so much has happened since then uh just in the education sector at large so we're going to try and fit as much into this episode as possible so that our audience can get a clear idea of what it looks like on the front lines uh for teachers you are both in Wellington, uh, so there will be some differences, but uh, between what you're experiencing, um, you're both high school as well, right? Yeah, yeah. There will be some differences, but I'm sure you'll also be able to give a, a bit of context around that as well. Uh, and I'd argue that most of the stuff uh, can be applied across the board. I think the most recent news that people will have been aware of in the teaching space uh, what was happening with uh, some of the teachers' strikes in the last month or so. We had uh, both primary and secondary strikes occurring mm. that eventually became just secondary strikes. Yeah, primary took a deal. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe let's start there and use that as a jumping point because so much of the discourse around that was focused on uh, teachers wanting more pay. But just like with every public service sector, uh, strike in the last three or four years, it's so much more than that. There, there is a range of issues uh, uh, about the conditions uh, of the industry that are basically just being ignored um, more often than not uh, in lieu of framing this as as teachers just wanting a bit more money. So, yeah, that's right. yeah. Adam, if you wanted to kind of give us a, <laughs> as quick a rundown as possible. Okay, so the quick rundown is that we... Um, have been in negotiations for about 18 months. We've received three deals. None of those deals sufficiently move the needle on pay and conditions to the point where teachers were happy. And so teachers went back to the union and said, yeah, nah. Um, and then the union, of course, went on our behalf to the ministry and said, yeah, nah. So we're currently in non-binding arbitration, which is real fun. Mm. And so we can't talk about the arbitration process. We won't talk today um, about um, who the panel are, um, but we can say that we are in a position where we're playing a bit of a waiting game. Yeah. And regardless of the waiting game, at the end of it, uh, we still don't know whether the outcome will be a better deal. We also don't know whether we, you know, we know that we don't have to take the deal because it's non-binding. Um, but it's also non-binding on the government. Mm. Um, so it's a, you know, arbitration is a double-edged sword. Um, I think the last time that we went into arbitration, um, we won significant conditions and pay shifts, which was good. I think that was, gosh, that was under Mallard and it was 2002 or something like that. Yeah. Um, Jesus. 
I think he had to find he had to go back to cabinet and find a shit ton of extra money, which is uh, was a win at the time. Um, but this is, you know, we are 21 years later. Um, we're going again, um, and we're just the the feeling I get from the from the chalk face, if you will, is that we're not going to take a pay deal that's less than inflation. Um, yeah, that remains the offer that we have on the table. So yeah, that's 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 the pay side of things. On the <laughs> side of on the condition side of things, we have we have other things that we want. Um, we're looking for extra hours for pastoral care to be able to do the job we have to do with students, mm. um, helping them look after themselves, um, helping them uh, develop in the ways they want to develop. We work with some, in some cases, some pretty traumatized kids and in other cases, just some quite lost kids who don't know where they're going or what they want to do or what their outcomes need to be. And all of that rests on teachers. Well, a lot of that rests on teachers' shoulders, depending on who the kid is and depending what their family is like and, and whether yeah. whether they feel heard or um, whatever. So, yeah, so there was that. There was also, I'm not going to get all of these correct, by the way, but another big one for my workplace, given the um, large proportion of Māori students in the school, is around kaiako Māori um, receiving extra pay and time for all the work they do for us, helping us upskill, become better teachers yeah. of the current student um, population, um, work harder to become better treaty partners, um, develop in our understanding of te ao Māori, mātauranga Māori, and um, te ao Māori in general, um, which is becoming an even more, like if you didn't think it was important, or you thought it, or you thought it might have been growing in importance. It is critical because um, mm. come come next year, um, NCEA has level one has whole strands of it, which have well the entire thing has Matauranga Maori woven through it. Mm. Um, and without them, without those Maori teachers who hold the mana and the expertise to help us, we are going to be in dire straits. So. Those th those two, I would say, for me, are the ones that bug me the most. It's it goes, it goes. I will be honest. For me, looking at getting people into the profession, it goes pay, because pay means retention at least a little bit. It means retention. It means recruitment. It means people sticking around. Yeah. Um, and then it goes. Uh, the past, I'll be frank about this, the pastoral care. Um, I, I was a dean for four and a half years and that was super tough. And, and it wasn't super tough just because my role was tough. It was tough because teachers were being asked to do more and more to guide students and weren't given any extra time to do it. Um, and then for our Kayako Māori, that's a fight actually. That might actually be further up the list. Those guys, I mean, the 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 Māori teachers at my school. I'm I'm lucky enough to work at a school with a significant number of Māori teachers, and I don't mean teachers of Te Reo Māori. I mean Māori teachers. Yeah. And and so, you know, I'm lucky enough to work with them. I'm lucky enough to be influenced by them, to to learn from them, and to share with them. But they do way too much for too little. And, and that's not like a standard. Uh, school environment, right? I, I would, I would. Think no, no, no. Our, no, no. Our school is not standard. We have a solid, um, but that provides either 
um, immersion or bilingual um, uh, instruction and education to a significant chunk of our school population now. Um, but the work that they do, you know, of course, it, it, it spans outside the, right. the the unit that they that they run and that they're part of. So mm. it's much bigger than that. Yeah. Pmax, thoughts on this? So yeah, basically just a hard agree. Um, I don't know if we're going to be disagreeing on too much, but um, it's it's so absolutely critical to retain those Maori teachers, especially as because um, it's not just teaching that's going through this. There's also a lot of movement in the private sector and the public sector towards um, building treaty partnerships and all that kind of thing. And a lot of these teachers, it's like, well, why should I stick in a school and get paid $80,000 a year when I can move into the private sector and get $110,000 a year for less work, um, helping companies meet their treaty obligations and so forth. Um, and then, yeah, the... Um, as Adam was saying, they've just got so much on their shoulders in helping teach teachers in addition to students. And it's a, a, like, we we do quite a bit at my school to recognize those teachers who do step up. But even then, it's still like a little bit of a nod, a little bit of acknowledgement, um, a gift basket every now and then isn't enough to recognize that work, you know? So it'd be nice to have more official backing behind that, a bit more lucre in the pocket, uh, official recognition. It, it's yeah. just to step in here around our Māori teachers. I mean, I did some some looking around earlier today, and in twenty one, the Ministry of Education put out uh, you know a teacher turnover report where they did a whole bunch of stats and worked out mm. who was leaving who wasn't leaving, but they were changing schools and who was going into relief positions. And Māori teachers have the highest rate of leaving education out of all ethnicities. It's it's not good. The people, I'm just going to put this out there, I'm a Pākehā New Zealander working in a predominantly Māori high school. I would say the people that we need most in our high schools um, with a growing number of Māori students in our high school you know, by proportion in our in our schools, mm. we actually need these people the most, and we're losing them the most. Yeah. Um. So when the PPTA said we want the following, it wasn't because um, it wasn't because we it was just a nice to have. Yeah. Um. It, it was us saying, hey, without this, you're going to see further bleed of the people in the sector who we need the most, or at least we yeah. need. In most is bad language. You know, it's not great language, but it's like people, <laughs> people that are critical to the future of education in New Zealand and the present of education in New Zealand are being lost. And yeah. we're asking you to pay them something for the extra time and energy and effort and work they're putting in. And um, the ministry really didn't want a bar of it. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of sick. It's so, not right. Yeah. So, so just um, to sort of build on that point um the union demands demands kind of sounds but harsher than it is like honestly um personally i don't know adam's opinion on this but personally i think the union's not asking for enough um it's it's the it's the minimum it's like um this is what's required to just maintain the status quo which isn't it's not sustainable like 
Yeah. You know, like Saving Private Ryan, where someone gets shot and you know that it could go either way and all they do for them is they pull out a little morphine injection thingy and just jam it into their ass and go <laughs> get back into the fighting soldier. It's yep. that. That's that's actually what the PBTA was asking for. It's yep. get us back into the fight. It, it It's not replacement and it's not growth and it's not making conditions and pay better. It's actually just keeping up with how painful living in New Zealand is at the moment. Mm. That's that's what it is. Keep the, and they can't even do that for us so far. So we will have to see, you know, through the arbitration process, we will have to see whether someone recognizes that, that the shot in the arm isn't enough. Because worse is coming down the... I shouldn't have read anything today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but worse is coming down the, the rail line at us. And... Yep. um. I'm really worried, and I think New Zealanders need to also be worried and start start putting some pressure on media personalities to talk about this more, start asking Jan Tenetti and the Ministry of Education to step up and have a conversation about this and decide what we're going to do. Because yeah. the retention and recruitment crisis is not going to be solved by um, opening the floodgates to international teachers to come in, which appears to be the current strategy. I yeah. want to raise as well at this point, uh, like some of the way that this discourse has been framed over the last, uh, since forever, I guess. And that's to make the point that all of the stuff that you're talking about, um, the pay, the recruitment, the retention, keeping certain kinds of specialists, uh, whatever they may be uh, within the profession, um, not seeing that loss of tenure, all of that is about providing a space where students can actually flourish. Yeah. That, that that's what this all comes back to uh, and we see a lot uh in the media and in political reporting and reporting on education education is a huge issue for voters mm. um and for parents um often it takes the form of you know i want uh my kids to be done right by and yet that somehow never gets uh added to the mix when we're talking about strike action um, or the the needs of teachers in the education sector to actually have investment, unless we're talking something like charter schools, in, in which case it's like give them millions and millions of dollars. Ha ha. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's you, you raise a good point. You know, I've I've said this recently on the radio. I was lucky enough to get called onto morning report that kind of thing a few times to make some points. But one thing I said is, do, you know, do New Zealand parents want their kids? to actually have teachers mm -hmm. because in some of our subjects we're literally we cannot find yep. we cannot find people so i've done a bit of digging on this i'm a social science head of faculty i i was trying to hire a geography teacher since last year right last year november last year and i managed to find someone you know maybe four weeks before the end of term two and I I cannot tell you how scary it is to be sitting there and 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 seeing the uh, we do semesterized education so we have half year courses seeing this course coming up over the horizon and just being like there's no one mm -hmm. there's no one I put this job out for for you know eight months and I've had exactly zero applications I don't know like I literally I was kind of stuck stuck there. I don't know what to do. This is, 
a little bit outside my wheelhouse. I've never had to deal with this level of shortage before. Do I get an international recruitment company involved? Hmm. Like that was where I was headed. Maybe I should have been headed there a bit earlier, but I, I just hmm. like, I was kind of a little bit possum in the headlights about the whole thing. Yeah. And so you know, I did a bit of digging. I got one of the um, geography uh, coordinators who are employed by the ministry to actually look around for me. There are 11, we don't know the numbers for Otago University, but we know the numbers for everywhere else that trains teachers. There are 11 teachers, teacher trainees currently uh, for geography for the whole country in New Zealand at the moment, 11. So one more than your hands or the fingers on your hands. And it and there are 700 schools in Auckland. Fucking yeah. hell. Like 700 total, right? So I just, I don't know what to say to people except if you do not pay people enough and if you do not provide them with the conditions that make life livable and a career doable, they will not give up lucrative opportunities in other industries to come and become a teacher. And I'll also raise this. Anyone who does, you actually have to look at them and go, why are you doing this? That's why like are the... you doing this? Because yeah. that, that's one of those things as well, which is like the, it feels really bad to say, right? Yeah, uh, a little. You know, because uh, I encountered this when I was, I went through teacher's college as well. Um, mm. There's this whole like, oh, fuck, what's that horrible fucking saying? Oh, bro, I got it yesterday. Got it yesterday. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those that can do and yeah. those that can't teach. Yeah. yeah. Oh. This guy. Yeah. And, and that just... It's so pervasive, uh, and it shouldn't be, obviously. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean but... there's, a, there's a skill set difference, right, between someone who's a doer of geography and someone who is a teacher of geography. Yeah. There's a, because it, the, the skill is teaching, right? The, the most important skill is actually the ability to teach uh, rather than the knowledge of geography. That, that needs to be there, but if you can't teach someone, you shouldn't yeah. be in the room. Yeah. So just, yeah, I was... Also, I got, I got... Out, of, out of the 11, like, so you've got these 11 potential graduates at the end of the year. Potential. We don't even know if they'll make it through because they haven't finished their second placements, right? Also, and yeah, the drop-off rate in teachers' college like is like 40%. Yeah, so, so if they make it the whole way through, I was talking to this um, the head of geography kind of person helping out, and she said, look, I know of four geography teachers who are retiring at the end of the year. And I was like, oh, so that's <laughs> that's seven left. If all of them get through, that's seven for the rest of the, you know, for the rest of the country. And it, it just freaked me out. And so if the question gets raised, if if the ministry is not going to do much around remuneration, and if they're not going to do much around conditions to change things, what are they going to do? Yeah. And I'm What's afraid plan? That, I'm afraid the plan appears to be the same as the plan in 2018, which is bring in a whole bunch of international teachers. So in 2008, no, 2022, yeah, 2022 cabinet approved $23.6 million to increase teacher supply because they knew there'd be a problem. But that plan was to get 177 domestic teachers. I don't know where this number comes from, but 177 domestic mm -hmm. teachers and reach out overseas for a further 760 international teachers for this year. And so... In a moment in our history where we are rewriting our curriculum to finally respect and honour and give mana to 
the knowledge of Māori as a treaty partner and as tangata whenua in Aotearoa, at that very moment, we are saying that we really want international teachers and that international teachers who come to New Zealand with a wide and diverse range of experiences and knowledge mm. sets, but who, to be honest, probably don't know anything more about Māori than the haka if they have lived in a Anglo-sphere nation. We're saying that they're the solution, and or at least that's what Iona Holstead um, thinks. So the Secretary of Education. So I'm really concerned about that. And I'm concerned because, how do I put this? Every new person who comes in needs to be trained. So every person who is either a graduate from university or in New Zealand, right? Or from overseas, every single one of them needs to be brought up to speed. Bringing someone up to speed if they're from Aotearoa, regardless of their background, is a million times easier than bringing someone up to speed if they're coming in from South Africa, where despite the population having, what, 8% Europeans at the moment, they still constitute something like 46 47% of the um, teachers in schools. Or where Fiji, yeah, okay, cool. I, sure, that could work, actually, and could actually help with some of the diverse ne necessary diversity in the classroom and in, in the teaching profession. But let's be honest, it's not. It's probably not going to be from those countries. It's probably not going to be from the countries where our kids are from. Do you know what I mean? It's probably still going to be where the dominant stream of migration comes from to New Zealand, which is Great Britain. So from the UK. And so the, the necessary training for these people is going to be huge. And where do you think they get that training? It isn't the Teachers' Council who I pay $500 to <laughs> in the next 10 days. Only $500? Or, $500. or is it two years? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a three-year fee. But, yeah, but yeah. $500 for three years for the privilege of teaching New Zealand's children, they won't be the ones who patch that gap, no. who plug that hole. It'll be us. It'll be me and, and PMAX and, and other yep. members of stuff. And those Kaiako Māori that we were talking about just before. Who are not paying enough yep. or giving time to do this stuff. So, yeah, yeah. It's, so uh, there's also an equity issue that I'd like to bring up mm. because um, the thing is those um, private schools and decile, the high decile schools aren't going to be doing this training or hiring at the same level that lower decile schools are going to be expected to do. Because the demographics are different? Because the demographics are different and because um, especially the private schools just tend to make offers to um, the high-performing teachers or whatever. Um, we've definitely had it. I mean, I don't know what your experience is, Adam, but we've definitely had teachers at our school who've received emails from private schools saying, hey, uh, we've got a room for you. We've got a room for you um, and we'll make sure that you get a a space coaching the rugby team or something like that. And so if if the government's plan really is to import teachers that then have to be trained, we're going to be seeing a lot of that, a lot of that training, a lot of those, a lot of those teachers making the first mistakes you do make in a school disproportionately in lower decile schools, where a lot of students already haven't been served for a long time. 
um and i'm kind of scared of what's going to happen <laughs> no i get it there's going to be i mean i dug dug a little bit into um the demographics around turnover and you know high decile versus low decile turnover and what's really interesting is what tells you it's even more of a retention crisis at the moment is that the lines on the graph, which used to be a bit further apart, and there was higher uh, turnover at decile, low decile schools, slightly, maybe like 2%, 2.5% difference in number of people leaving the professional turnover in general. It, um, it's gone, it's, it shrunk all the way below 1% difference. And what that tells you is that every type of school right now is struggling mm -hmm. because people are leaving. Damn. And so the traditional issue, right, of yeah. low decile schools um, facing higher turnover rates. It's uh, just so bad that it's not even. In the last year. So in the last, in like, like between, sorry, not this year, between 2020 and 2021, the lines have basically merged and it's like crunch point crunch point it's all the same everywhere everyone's feeling the pinch no one is getting a break here now wow. in that in that context can a private school or a um what we don't call private schools in this new, in new zealand but they special character uh, is it, the special character or um i don't know your catholic schools that kind of thing mm. their ability to pull people especially larger ones with a higher budget their ability to pull people in and give them roles and give poach them people. what they need, poach people, yeah. it's, it is higher. It is higher. It would only get higher if we brought in performance-based pay um, yep. because then they'll be able to skim the pay of most teachers to be able to give themselves a buffer that they can use for recruitment. So it's, you know, it it's not looking good out there, folks. It's looking yeah. real bad. And the, the issues are the issues are widespread. There are certain regions in New Zealand in which it's really hard to find teachers. I don't have a list of those. There are certain subjects. I do have a list of those. And it's relevant because the um, the new science curriculum draft was released this week to much uh, speculation about it. It was yeah. kind of interesting. But uh, science, so all of the sciences. So your main, yeah. your main three, bio physics, chemistry, they're all incredibly hard to find teachers for. Interestingly, technology. So we're talking anyone who can train a kid how to sew something, how to build something, or how to do some digital design or digital product creation yeah. on a computer. So there's quite broad range of people. We cannot find them. They're, they are hen's teeth. Um, and it used to be that you could reach out to old tradies and go, hey, man, you're an old Car, uh, you're an old carpenter or you've your body's giving up the ghost a little bit when it comes to the work site do you want to come over and do this kind of thing now but that there's those, those guys are gone that yeah. that generation of people that we pulled into the classroom who finished up at metal workshops and that kind of thing they don't exist anymore mm. um so our kids are already missing out it's not that the missing out is coming they're already missing out now far more non-specialists teaching specialist um courses and specialist material and to be frank you get a really mixed result you find some yep. people who are great at picking up stuff they've never done before and then you get people who are just put in that position and it sucks and it sucks even, for everybody involved even if you're great at picking up stuff because like i'm yep. i'm um pushed into pushed into i kind of kind of waltz into it myself but i do some technology teaching even though i'm not trained in the subject area i know that i'm not 
fully covering the curriculum there because I'm sort of in a um, our school needs a technology teacher I'm the best qualified because I'm a huge nerd but <laughs> even then it's still like I don't have that in-depth knowledge and I can sort of build this like atmosphere of our of like learning together with the students but there's like there's key pathways and stuff that I just can't explore as well as a technology teacher um just delving a little bit into like the shortages at um the school I work at um we don't have a performing arts teacher we don't have a dance teacher we don't have a teacher of Japanese and all three of those were the largest subjects at our school over the past decade or so well not Japanese but definitely performing arts and dance um and just they just they're just not not there uh, this is like you know Wellington region you can't find a drama teacher that's unheard <laughs> of like two years ago that's unheard of that's funny because we've had I think we've had um three maybe four dance drama teachers in the last six years mm. so that you just the turnover man just like yeah boom, boom 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 and so these kids are suffering not just because there's a chance they won't have a teacher next year that the, the issue is also that something is something is going on stopping teachers settling and staying with kids building relationships yeah. building a quality program having some continuity helping the kids go from junior through to NCA level one, through to NCA level two, to level three, and then to, you know, helping them get UE or whatever they want. And yeah. without that, without those relationships, I don't know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, especially in low decile schools, without those mm. relationships and the environments that me and PMAX teach in, the reality is those kids are not being served well. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's well, very, very tough. I guess I would just ask ask the listener, some listener participation. I would ask oh, the listener to consider, think back to like the the teachers that made a difference for you in high school or even primary school and think to like how many of them were teachers that taught you for one, like just one year or just a part of that school for just one year. Because for me, thinking back to the teachers that like really made a difference for me, most of them had been in that school teaching in that particular environment for like at least five years mm. um and as such were able to sort of um i guess you know i went to an all-boys school um but they sort of had a they, they'd like cultivated a place within that school that increased yeah. the effectiveness of their teaching and made those relationships so much stronger now, you know, I've, I've only been teaching three years myself. Um, and we have some fantastic teachers who have only just started in the past year or so. It's it's just there's there's a huge uh, there's a huge gap. in like if we're just going to be playing this thing where we have a teacher in for a year or two, burn them out, move mm. on to the next. That's not going to create the sort of healthy learning environments that our students deserve. I will say this, the, the situation is even worse in primary. So um, turnover is consistently higher in primary. And I haven't figured out, I'm not an expert in this, I haven't figured out why exactly that is. Mm. I know that in primary education, the majority of teachers are women. And I know in secondary, the majority are 
male. Uh, is it a majority? Or it's not a majority. It's more... just a higher proportion. Yeah. And so there's a difference there straight away in societal expectations around the roles of women, mm-hmm. around around you know motherhood and and lots of things that kind of pop up there and are relevant relevant concerns, right? And I can't speak about all of that because I'm a dude, but it's it's real for people. So we know that primary is worse, but even mm-hmm. in secondary, it's it's like an eighteen point eight percent turnover rate 18.8 and so for every you know i I just think that that's scary numbers it's every fifth teacher every fifth teacher is moving or leaving right so turnover is made up of three things right it's people who are leaving completely people who are changing schools and people are going into relief um Mm. those numbers are insane and 18.8 percent is is back to recent norms so i just i like it's like that it's been that bad for a while um, yeah i can actually speak to this because i was a primary school teacher so i think i graduated in 2011 um and i went straight into relief teach teacher work and i did that for two years mm. and then i just got out of there yeah but because we're already feeling it like our our cohort uh, i did the um one year uh, graduate diploma in primary school teaching was already too small so this is yeah more than a decade ago um and it just there there are already issues around the workload not and like the pay was like okay whatever like i love to teach this is this is what i want to be doing that's fine Uh, i'll get uh, you know, validation or um, satisfaction, whatever, whatever other way uh, mm. through helping to grow the community or, or be part of this community. But doing relief work in particular and seeing what the teachers I was relieving were having to deal with every day yeah. uh, and every week, I just didn't want to be doing that. I did like, yeah. And I knew that I wasn't, I knew that I was going to be one of the ones who burnt out if I mm. tried to. And I couldn't countenance going into a full-time role knowing that I would fail the students like in in the, in the mid to long term yeah it's a tough one because it's also it's also you know mo- many of us suffer from um, imposter syndrome at least in part right where we yeah. we look at ourselves and we go god these kids deserve better than me and that's that's true I've been in the business since 2011 yeah. as well I I did my retraining in in 2010 um after the GFC hit and I I got laid off and I still today look at myself and just say, God, these kids deserve better than me today. But there's, I there's mean, no one a, else. A, yeah, there's no <laughs> one else. And so B, put your shoes on and just go to work, like get up and yeah. go. I think it's the, the, a slightly scary stat, but it's not. It doesn't sound massive, but out of that 18.8% of people who are moving around within teaching or moving out, 6.1% in 2021 6.1% were getting out of teaching entirely mm. and so that's a, that's like 30 33% you know like yeah. it's a big chunk of the people moving are actually leaving and it, that's the highest rate since 2008 so yeah. we are seeing the the leaving rate and we don't have current data so the highest leaving rate was 2 years ago mm. Um, and I'm I'm wondering whether it's got worse since then. I don't have data on it though. 
gut, um, gut feeling it's well at least um i think it, it seems to be worse from all the anecdotal evidence yeah, that i have yeah um that there's that um, new zealand transitioning teachers page which has just <laughs> yeah. exploded it's it's almost half the size of the ppta page now for our for our listeners this is a facebook page where teachers help other teachers get out of teaching and it's huge it's massive what did you say more than half of the ppta yeah oh, I, can, I can i can get the stats now because i've actually out of morbid curiosity i've joined it yeah and then and to be honest there's probably a few people in there who are in there out of morbid curiosity but the numbers are still crazy okay so the new zealand ppta page has five thousand uh, members the New Zealand Transitioning Teachers page has 4,500. Okay. So some of those people can't be teachers, but at the same time, like... I think some of them are primary as well. They might be primary as well. It's craziness. Yeah. My, my thing about it too is that, you know, like you'd expect it to be the elderly. I'm just going to put that out there. Our really <laughs> wise and experienced Kamatua teachers, um, who I shouldn't really call elderly because they're not, but the people who are 65 and over, um, you'd expect them to be the top tranche of people leaving the profession and they are but then you go well where what's who comes next and the numbers next are the youngest yeah yeah so it's teachers under 35 are going screw this shit i'm i'm out of here that was me that was me so it's and (laughs) that's really scary you you're talking about an already under pressure industry an already under pressure workforce an already under pressure school system now with kids in it who have yeah. no control over this thing. They have they, they, no one asks them. No one what, asks them, hey, you, you mean kids don't get to vote? Yeah, kids <laughs> don't get to vote. They don't get to make policy decisions. They don't get to go to Jantanetti or anyone else and point a finger at them and go, I'm a goddamn voter and you're going to do what I say. They don't have meetings. Taxpayer. They don't have meetings. They don't have taxpayer union bullshit to attend. There's no... There's no, you know, astroturf for them. There should be. But the, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. there's no grassroots kids needing teachers organization, which there probably needs to be. If there's a if there's a student, you know, climate uh emergency, maybe there should also be Maybe don't student. call it kids needing teachers though. That, that could they won't agree with that. Yeah. 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 Maybe um, there was maybe, there was else. that um there was that solidarity strike a bunch of students did in Wellington. There was high school. Yeah. Oh, were they Wellington high students? Because if they were, that is so. on the nose. Like those kids, man. I can't think of any group of students in this country more based than um Wellington <laughs> high school students. Um, as long as it just doesn't become performative. I don't know. Um, shout out to Wellington High School. I relieve their times. Yeah. I, 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 no one's asking them, you know? And then when we had these kids, we had a group of kids out of, gosh, where was it? Maybe Palmerston North or Tauranga or something like that. And they wrote a letter to the minister and to the Ministry of Education, an open letter, um, mm. saying that they wanted the strikes over. And when I saw the headline, I was like, yeah. who are they talking to in this letter? Are they talking to the union? And then when I dug a bit deeper and saw them on the television, they were saying, no, no. The people who need to solve this are the government. Yeah, just pay right. the teachers more. But, just but, pay the teachers more. Yeah. So it wasn't framed that way in the article, but no. it, that's what it, that's what it looked like once you actually listen to the kids. They they're right. They're not. 
they don't sit there going, yeah, these people in front of us are so full of vim and vigor and, <laughs> and uh, absolutely, you know, they see how hard the job is. Um, they're the customer. And I actually think that's another way to frame this is actually that the customer is not getting what they're promised. Yeah. Um, they're not getting a world-class education system or education experience and they deserve one. And no, no, no. See, the customers are actually the taxpayers. Yeah. yeah. That's that why it? we need charter schools, Adam. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, this that's is the problem wrong. whenever you get into that, we're trying wrong. to like frame it in the way that uh, the right wing do, right? Can we talk briefly about training colleges? We can absolutely talk about that. Or like thereof. Or like thereof, because recently multiple of them have been this close to being shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Due to lack of funding in the tertiary sector. During a crisis. During an, a, a teacher training crisis. And then we found out more stuff that was interesting. Someone from uh, Vic got in touch with me, someone who doesn't want to be named, and they let me know about how, one of the reasons why Victoria's enrollment numbers for the teacher training program was so low this year. Mm. And so I just wanted to, I just wanted to go over this. Nationwide, we had 600 fewer primary teaching students this year than we had last year. So 600 oh. fewer primary teaching students in training. That's ludicrous. That's insane. You would think the ministry was jumping on a horse to race into town and deal with that, right? Because that's a threat to their business, right? Second, uh, secondary teachers, not quite as bad. 65 mm. fewer secondary students countrywide okay. than we were expecting. 65, I mean, it's still it's sucks, 600, but it's not 600. <laughs> and what's crazy about that is that the ministry's forecasts in 2022 was that we were going to have a shortage of secondary teacher, um, secondary teachers, mm -hmm. um, and that we were going to have a potential oversupply of primary teachers. They've got those numbers completely asked backwards. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. And I, I think with Victoria, I got this little snippet that I mentioned before. They, and I'm not sure exactly how much this affected things, but I've heard that it was at least a few candidates decided not to do training because of it. Number one, their enrollment site was so complex. So the online site where you tried to enroll for a program was so complex and so botched that some people gave up. And the other thing was this. Imagine this. You've applied to be a secondary school teacher. You've gone through the botched up application process mm. um you've got together all of your paperwork you've got your degree information all the courses that you've passed you got some stuff from someone about you know how good your character is all that kind of stuff you got it all together you hand it in and then you are mistakenly sent a rejection letter no oh. you're mistakenly sent a rejection letter instead of an acceptance letter for training at victoria university and then when they get hold of you because they realize what they've done, how many of you are still actually going to be keen to learn in this organization or do this teacher thing? And well, what they've gone to onto a different plan. They've gone onto another plan because they've yeah. been rejected. They have no other, there's no one to talk to. They've got no one else to correct this. Many of the people who'd be going in there would consider a rejection letter just like, yeah, okay, I'll go do something else. Then. Yeah, I've got you a know, backup plan, you know? You know, so I just, I'm sitting here going, it's a perfect storm of education incompetence from from the way that we run tertiary organizations, tertiary tertiary learning, all the way down to oh sorry, and all the way back up to the minister and the ministry because they 
don't seem to have a plan that puts mm. teachers in front of kids eventually and they know <laughs> they've got a workforce crisis it it gives me like the absolute it makes me furious because i just i'm like how can you be mucking this up this bad yeah like a little bit of a little bit of incompetence here and there i can like whatever that shit happens i make like, mistakes <laughs> this level is like we don't need this man we don't need this we've come out the other we're coming out the other side apparently of a pandemic which has attacked teachers at a rate unseen in other industries unseen in other parts of the workforce and you're telling us we can't be replaced because a whole bunch of different organizations have screwed up there yeah. are two kind of big points i want to make here one is like you know we talk about education crisis it's a societal crisis like there's a little bit of lag on this yeah, uh, yeah. Like, but yeah. this crisis has been ongoing since the 80s really you know that's when it, it kicked off and we started to strip funding out of our public services and a lot of the societal issues that we're seeing are a direct result of the decisions made in this space but even what we're currently seeing is not as bad as it will be in a decade if these yeah. issues are not dealt with immediately because that's who's in primary school right now uh, yeah. people who are going to be having to take part in society without having had an effective education yeah. are going to be joining the workforce in 10 years. Like this is an absolute disaster. It's not, it's not, you can't countenance it. Yeah. And it feels like people at the decision-making level are just not putting those dots together. And it's incredibly frustrating yeah. from, from that point of view. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's 4,000 people at the ministry of education. I just going to say that and let it sit. There are 4,000 people at the ministry of education. And yet we are almost losing our teacher training facilities. We, and, and well, sorry, let me take that back. The, the facilities in Wellington are gone. Um, yeah. Victoria sold them to Ryman Healthcare after getting them for a dollar from the old teacher's training college for a profit, no doubt, to cover the costs of various decisions. So. Various decisions, yeah. you'd hope so, from various decisions made by different members of the leadership team there. Um, who've sufficiently screwed the pooch to put the university in a bad state. But it's not just the university's fault. No. When you fund universities through bums-on-seats measures, but bums-on-seats measures are traditionally buffered by overseas students, and then you go through a pandemic and things are a bit slow to pick up again, although apparently they're going to be fine next year, hmm. you, you, you're looking at you're looking at a problem well, because but, things collapse. The, like this is the thing with the, oh, it'll be fine. New Zealand's already like slipping as a prime destination for tertiary students. And if we keep gutting our tertiary education, like what, what kind of rube is going to go and pay tens of thousands of dollars to study in New Zealand? Like it's yep. just becoming a less attractive option. Yep. And this is what happens when you treat education as a commodity instead of a like a necessary part of a functioning society right yeah i mean i've got to be even blunter i'm going to say that there you know uh, i have a little bit of a conservative right-wing bent when it comes to like looking at society maybe this isn't a right-wing bent i don't know <laughs> but but I, I get people reacting, i get people reacting to it sometimes and i'm like having sufficient education facilities workforce and resourcing is a strategic necessity for the success of a country mm. 
And I some people like some people react to that with like a oh well, you know, just you know, I don't know. They 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 said, well, what do you want to do about it? And I'm like, well, I think we should do the following. I think we should be recruiting people for this. I think we should be doing this. I think we should be. It is about how you implement that, right? It is about how you implement <laughs> it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But it it feels to me like this strategic outcome, which is that we want a highly educated, capable population to help push New Zealand into being a healthy, functioning economy um, and place to live and society, like all the ands, right? But you don't get all those ands, you don't get all those things without high quality education in the first place. You're not going to get them with the current amount of money that you're putting into education. Um, I want to throw a, a cat among the pigeons here because we are we are coming to um, closer to time. What are, what are people's feelings in the sector around the possibility or the idea that certain decision makers are trying to prime the industry for AI teaching where they say, oh, look, it doesn't matter if we have less teachers because uh, artificial intelligence can do that for us now. Everyone just get a laptop. Because I know that has been like a I mean, it's, theme. Pop- it's popular amongst idiots. Um, <laughs> well, sorry, like, no, no. I think like a lot of teachers that I've discussed like AI stuff with, they don't, they don't, they don't sort of comprehend it in terms of AI replacing teachers. Like that's not a thought that really enters. They definitely, um, I know a few teachers who will use stuff like ChatGPT to help them come up with tasks, worksheets and that kind of thing. But even then, a lot of the time, the amount of work that they have to do to make those usable to the students, yeah, is more or less like equal to just doing it yourselves. One of the weird things that it it is quite helpful for apparently is when you're like, where you're stuck trying to like come up with like 10 different scenarios. Um, You can use ChatGPT to grow that quickly, but that's obviously such a small tiny part hey look i had some fun with it i've i've used it um Mm. a fair amount with my students in a classics class and in a history class and one of the first things i did with it when i when i got into chat gpt was and this was the version not the current version but the one that was available free before it is i took a look at it and i was like okay it's a language learning model it's not intelligent let's just yeah and i said that (laughs) let's just start there Okay, it's a good start. It's just about language. So I'm going to ask it to do stuff that's just around language because then, you know, and, and take that understanding into it. It's not smart. It just knows lots of words and how they relate to each other. Okay, cool. I want it to output for me a term plan for hmm. um, a particular topic that needs to look at the causes and consequences of the dawn raids um, with a particular eye to the long-term effects um, of um, anti-immigration policy on migrant communities. And I popped that in there and I had to reword it a million times. I think I got, I think, no, it wasn't a million. I think it was like eight, <laughs> eight prompts in, I got back what I needed. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I looked at my watch. <laughs> I mean, how long did that take me? And um, my 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 other the other use I've had for it is actually to get kids to use it and then find all the mistakes. Yeah, I've seen uh, that used really effectively. Yeah, as no. well. and I was like, hey guys, look, we're gonna I'm gonna prove to you that this thing doesn't know everything, that it hallucinates, yeah. and that it often mucks stuff mm. up. And they were like, you're lying. It's AI. It knows everything. 
This is the thing, though. This is like this is how and it's being framed. This is how it's being framed. And I said, okay, cool. So I need you. You guys already know a whole bunch of stuff about this thing. I'm gonna give you some prompts, and then you can come up with your own three prompts. And I want you to feed back to me what you find is weird. And you know, within the lesson, we had a million. You know, we had a bunch of things that were weird about the way that ChatGPT was framing things. And so I don't think there's any concern I, I personally don't think you can replace a human being in no a classroom, i mean not among but, serious people and i think it's nonsense but i do think that there could be a role in using chat gpt carefully in your yeah. teaching and in your planning and i also think that there is a role for students in using chat gpt to yeah. deepen their understanding and to find different answers and to look for different perspectives they have to be taught how to use it. Yeah, so I, I want to be a little clearer on the point I was making in that case, because as you've said, like no one really seriously believes at this point that AI is going to replace teachers. But that hasn't stopped a whole range of uh, people in the tech industry, um, well, Microsoft, you know, solutionists, Microsoft, um, and some right-wing parties, uh, internationally or otherwise, uh, kind of edging us in that direction in a similar way to, they, to the way they may have done with charter schools, which is this serve, can serve a more diverse range of needs. Once IA is here, it's going to put teachers out of business kind of stuff. Like this, this is a, a narrative. My, or a my reply, my yeah, reply always, okay, let's go talk to grammar in Auckland. Let's go to Auckland. Let's go to grammar. Let's talk with the principal. Let's see what he thinks the board of trustees thinks about replacing. Let's take 10% of his staff out and see what, the parent community thinks of me taking 10% of his staff out to replace them with AI. Let's just do that. That's where we'll start. Let's start at the let's start at the so-called top and we'll see how comfortable the rich are with removing to, right? with yeah. removing teachers from the classroom. And then we will bring it down. Once we've proven it's a success at decile 10 private schools, we'll bring it down. Go on, let's do that. Because all too often the people who get experimented on are the kids in poverty, whether it's mm -hmm. charter schools, which are always an experiment, um, or whether it's AI. I also will note that the AI bullshit kicked up big time straight after everyone realized the NFTs were an absolutely ridiculously stupid idea. <laughs> I wonder why, you know, <laughs> because it's a whole bunch of grifters desperately trying to make money, Bitcoin, so on, lots of this stuff has failed, NFTs have failed. And now they're like, well, how do I shift my project to get some money out of someone's pockets or out of an investor's pockets? I'm going to talk about AI, whether it's a visual language model or whether it's a, a language learning model. Do I think Microsoft themselves or Google themselves can do some cool shit with AI? Yes. But, and, and could it supplement? Could it be used as an assistant to the role of a teacher in the classroom or as an assistant to a kid at home learning uh, for homework and stuff. Yeah, of course it can. But like, that's not, that's not outside the realm of possibilities, but anyone suggesting that um, teachers should be taken out of the classroom and replaced with AI is, um, is a bit dumb. <laughs> but okay, given that there's like, there's clearly not a technological fix to this, right? Which is something that's often hovered um, as like a way to bring down costs. Why, why like, what has led us to this point? What is the list of this uh, recruitment, retention, conditions, crisis through a lack of resourcing to to such a huge extent? Like what 
what do decision makers see on the other side of this or see as the the way that this is going to be fixed other than providing more resource well i don't think there is like a long-term vision like oh, it's sort of oh sorry was that no it was just me reacting uh, <laughs> i don't i don't think there is a long-term vision this is it's 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 like um end of history um we can just keep doing we can just keep doing the same thing we've always done because nothing's ever going to change kind of idea like oh we you know we perfected it in the 90s we don't need to change anything um not realizing that you do have to change things and you do have to respond and i think it's also um just like to make a wider political comment but i think part of it is like i suspect a lot of people who are in power feel or at least they don't act in a way that suggests they understand that they have the power to do things the power to change things of course, they're very happy to act swiftly when it's like, for example, um, we've got to get wage subsidies through. Okay, we'll drop $42 billion on that. But when it's a slower process, like what's happening in education, I feel like yeah, they're like, oh, we can only do really incremental changes, little bit, little bit, little bit. We'll pass this potato on. We'll, we've got the hot potato. We'll give it to the next person. Yeah, and certain things come to a head over time, like um, the 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 focus on mana audite, you know, of, of of bringing balance to the curriculum and having Māori knowledge given equal footing to Pākehā forms of knowledge in the curriculum. That's been kind of bubbling in the background at the Ministry of Education and in different parts of our society for a very long time. And it's kind of come to a head. The ministry decided to get it into the curriculum and it has to be in. And mm. so some of that incremental stuff eventually hits a bubbling point where it tips over there's backlash from the usual sources and then it happens anyway, or it gets watered down and it kind of happens anyway. But around how you resolve the current crisis, someone needs to have the courage, someone in political leadership needs to, or in media leadership, God, needs (laughs) to have the courage to step up and go, I'm going to find out what's wrong, not what's on the surface wrong, but what is actually wrong. And I'm going to educate the people of New Zealand about the problem. You know, good political leaders will say, we are facing the following. I'm bringing this to you because I value your input, because you are the citizens of this country, because it matters to you, matters to your kids. It's going to matter to the future. We need to do something better. But very few, very few political leaders at the moment seem to have that will to kind of take action and front something, um, something big. Yeah, lots of people, like you said, um, PMAX, willing to front little things in a crisis, you know. Oh, the private chairlift company in Ruapehu is going under. Mm. Um, the impact of that will affect uh, the local community and hundreds of Airbnb owners in the region. What should we do? Well, we have to save it. Do we? If we do, cool. Who should it belong to? Doesn't matter. Let's just get the money out there. And the money yeah. is dumped in. You yeah. know, the money is dumped in. It could have gone, well, I'm not going to get sidetracked here. Um, but <laughs> it's sort of like with um with Air New Zealand during the pandemic, where there was just sort of a no strings. Was, was it yeah. 0% interest loan? Or yeah. low we'll interest keep you loan? Afloat. We'll keep you afloat. But it, you're, you're right, PMAX, when you talk about the lack of a vision around what we're trying to create. And a a really simple way to show this to parents, if they're looking, is to say, do you think 
schools should be funded? Let me get this wording right. Do you think schools should be funded per student, because that's how they're currently funded, or do you think they should be funded for the for for the purpose of education? Because if you were to say, actually, well, okay, per student sounds a bit hinky. You mean like the more students you have, the more funding you get, the more opportunities there are, the more subjects can be offered, those kinds of things. And I would say, yes, that's exactly how it works. The, the, the other side of the coin would be, actually, no, we just fund so that every pathway is available. Yeah. So you fund for there to be a geography teacher. You fund for there to be a history teacher. You fund for there to be a dance or a drama teacher or a, a Japanese teacher. You, you fund so the whole curriculum is covered. Yeah, you fund so the whole curriculum can be taught. And currently we're not doing that. Like if you said to me, okay, you got, you're at a school of 700 kids, whatever, can every subject be taught? No, of course it can't. No. Don't be stupid. It's not specific for schools they can. Um, and those schools kind of like just get bigger and bigger and bigger and draw all yeah. the resources to them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, if you're willing to dump another several million dollars into Hutt Valley High School or some of the big boys in Auckland or the North Shore or whatever, these absolutely huge monstrosities, some down in Christchurch as well, sure. And those schools will be able to offer practically everything under the sun. There is a school in Wellington that I won't name that has built its own event centre. Oh, we got a bunch of those in Auckland, man. Yeah, they're big in Auckland, but they're not big here. So this is a big deal for us, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, they, but, you know, and when you ask yourself, when you ask parents, do you think schools should be funded so that path all pathways are open and all subjects are available? The vast majority of them will go, absolutely. And then they'll smile at you and you'll smile back at them. And then you'll go, that's not how it's done through gritted teeth. Because <laughs> it's not, you know? And so... I don't know. I think a bigger conversation about what should be available to school students needs to be out there. If we've got Tekura and we've got Open Polytech and both of them can actually offer different versions of an offline service that can help our students, which they can. They've both got products that do that. Why are they not under the same roof? Mm. And why is it we can offer kids stuff from open uh, from Tekura, the correspondence school, but only if we can't provide them with a teacher. So we actually have to kill off a, we have to kill things off to then create the opportunity rather than just give the opportunity and keep a class alive for a, for a slightly different purpose. It's really weird. And then oh well, you know, Open Polytech's got this great product called Education. Is that what it's called? It I can't online? remember. It's got a great online product. I've used it a few times. And should that be available to students who want to use it? Sure, should be. And actually, it should be part of every kid's available, you know, resources in a school to help them in the case of not having a teacher of that particular speciality. But again, strategy, vision. Do we do we have someone who says, you know what, guys, what have we got? How do we get it to everyone? Yeah. You know, like that's not a comp that that's I don't think that's that challenging a question. What have we got? What are we really good at? What have we got in New Zealand that we smash? Okay, cool. How do we get it to everybody? Mm. And how do schools run it? You know, is another question, but how do schools run it? So I don't know. I mean, you, you, we we broke, we, we've taken so many steps away from solutions. It's not funny. Like Chris Hipkins trying to make peace with Nikki Kay 
when she was the national spokesperson for education. So he pulled back on the reforms around tomorrow's schools. So, you know, we were, we might have been able to have something that had an HR function. We might have been able to have regional education hubs, which could help schools hire from overseas, make sure they get really high quality candidates, do a lot of that stuff for us, have good HR processes, look after staff, move teachers, have teachers um, potentially and this would not be fun, but some person might like to do this. It's a possibility. But, you know, having a teacher who actually spends half the week in one school and half a week in another school because they're employed by the state, right? They're employed by the state, but they're employed by a school, so they can't possibly go between schools. But it's like, well, hold on a second. If everyone worked out a timetable, you might. Yeah, and then you could actually get um, some of those rarer specialty subjects across schools. It just, the lack of vision is astounding. And at the moment, we're just sitting here waiting for a deal so that we can just do our jobs. There's a lot of vision at the chalk face. Um, We have meetings every now and then, um, pull back the curtain a little bit. We have meetings every now and then where we talk about like, what can we do to improve our school? What can we do to make things better for our students and that kind of thing? Um, And sometimes they'll even be with other schools. And some of the ideas that get thrown around there are so crazy good. But they always come up to the same issue, the same problem. Um, Well, the way schools are set up doesn't work for that. And there's no money for it. It's just like the solutions are there. There's just not the funding and there's not the structure. The other, I'd agree with that. And the other thing is that when you're trying to reform schools or make schools better, you have absolutely no added resource to do that. So, you know, it's really interesting. Um, You know, a relative of mine works in one of the ministries in Wellington. And, um, you know, the question around what he does comes up. He goes, oh, I I mostly work on the business. And I went, okay, can you tell me what that means? And he goes, oh, well, my job is primarily to help the ministry that I'm in do a better job of what it does. And I was like, oh, oh, on the business. And he's like, yeah, not for the business, but on the business. And I was like, God, I wish we had money to do that in Mm -hmm. schools, like to actually do on the business stuff. Because, you know, a good example of this is when Ministry of Education sets up new schools, like Hobsonville Point in Auckland, uh, that school had 12 months to come up with how they wanted to do education at Hobsonville Point School without a kid walking through the door. 12 months to formulate an approach, come up with principles that guide everything, develop a curriculum, work through what that curriculum would would look like once the, you know, when the rubber hits the road. Um, Any existing school that you look at where you go, you know what, is this school performing as well as it could be? don't be surprised if education reform doesn't get very far because you you're trying to um, you're trying to turn oh the Titanic is the wrong word you're trying to <laughs> well I'm not, I'm not suggesting these are sinking but you're trying to you're trying to turn a cruise liner into an airplane while the passengers are still in the cruise liner and you you don't have the 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 resourcing and the change and the 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 people there or not there as the case may be out of the picture briefly to help you to create the change um, that mm-hmm. you need. So if we're going to be shifting things, uh, you know, resourcing to help do that in schools is really important. 
but boy, we are we are we are in the weeds. We are, but I think that's a good place to leave it. We've looked at a whole bunch of like what the short term issues are. Uh, we've looked at what those effects are going to be, and we've looked at the need for some long term vision around this. How this might be a, a a bad question to ask, but how hopeful are we that we get some movement here? Well, okay, so we're up against a crisis, and maybe we we have to see the crisis. Like what I mean by that is maybe it has to get to the point where an MP's son, uh, child or son or daughter or whatever um, is on the receiving end of a missing teacher. Maybe they need to feel it. And maybe enough of them across the aisle need to feel it. Don't worry, mate. They're all um, in private schools. They're not all. No, 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 no. Uh, that but, was a throwaway. But maybe, but... I know. But maybe maybe enough of them need to feel it to go, God damn, we need to do something and it can't be half pie. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm... I don't want to see that day, but it's coming. I mean, yeah, you're are... gonna you're gonna start seeing things where like school sports are going to decrease, and they have decreased after COVID. You know, they need a staff member there to help them, and fewer and fewer staff members have the time to dedicate to a team, to a, like a high quality team, and that's honestly going to be one of the first things that those private schools, those top performing schools, encounter is they're like, there's only three there's only three teams in this like local rugby competition what the like, what the fuck yeah um they're like huh we usually used to play like this school and that school and that school what what happened there and then it's like oh well you know they're just in the social league because they don't have a teacher willing to put aside 16 hours a week to coach them um we've got two years no i take that back we've got two and a half years so in 2025 we are expected to hit the peak of demand for teaching staff and then after that it kind of simmers a little bit but 2025 we're expected to see a demographic requirement the requirement comes from how many kids there are so at that point we are going to need the most teachers and so that's where so it's going to get progressively worse and it's going to be very, very bad. <laughs> and then maybe it will get better once people see how bad it can be. Once the be. climate crisis hits. Yeah, once the climate crisis hits and Auckland's being washed away, and so is the East Coast, then we'll take action. Or maybe not, as the yeah. case. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's um, it's going to be nasty. I mean, you've so, got... Yeah, in terms of being hopeful, um, I... Maybe this is a bit naive, but I do have high hopes of arbitration. Um, I don't see how you can take a measured look at the education sector and even countenance what the government's proposing. Um, of course, <laughs> we live in hell world, so <laughs> I do temper my expectations. Um, but I'm hopeful that a good settlement will boost morale in the sector. Longer term, looking forward, bleh, don't even get me started. I think a strong um, left-influenced coalition with um, Greens and Te Pātai Māori involved could potentially lead to some positive movement in the sector, um, especially if Greens and TPM really put um, Labour's feet to the fire. Um, and ACT National Government, their rhetoric around education has been quite demoralising. Um, I find it ironic that one of the big... Um, <laughs> One of the big calling cards of Luxon's campaign has been back to basics because, well, thanks to the teacher shortage, we are almost back to basics. Um, we're not going to be going much beyond that um, at the tertiary sector. But Well, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Happy yeah, note to no, end no. on. <laughs> let, me, let me give this one more go. Okay. Let me give this one more go. Okay, so we need someone 
we need a John Campbell. We need someone to make this a big deal and to fight the good fight on our behalf. People don't want to listen to teachers. We fucking saw some Paddy Gower the other day, huh? Yeah, so that was fun. But, <laughs> but we need someone with a bit of mana in media or politics to make a really big deal about this. We need someone to go, you know, it's not okay. Um, it's not okay that um, this, the, the sector is going to fall over um, and we need to step up. We need to actually bring people to the table, figure out a way forward. Um, and there's in that mix of things, there's going to have to be some form of compromise um, and we'll have to see what the, what the, you know, what people bring to the table, but you, we can't keep playing it the way we are because it's currently broken. There's no stability. There's no foundation under the floor. It's all coming apart. So mm. it does take someone stepping up. And I'm, uh, if there are any people who are listening to this, um, people at home who have the ability to write a letter or an email to um, people in the media, people in politics, MPs, mayors, different members of industry, because they will be affected too, um, and start making a case for um, remedying the problems that we're seeing in education, then we need you to do that. We desperately need you, listener, to take some form of action. And if you're in those places yourself, if you're an influential person, if you've got the ear of someone, um, you need to step up um, and 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 fight a bit for the kids and for um, the families in New Zealand who have a teacher in them um, who are struggling right now because it's atrocious. Um, we need you. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I keep coming on um, because on the podcast, because someone, someone has to say something and um, if we can get the word out, that would be great. Um, yeah. That's the best I've got. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thank you both so much for coming on and sharing your experiences uh, this evening. Hey, you're very welcome. That's been another episode. Uh, t- really, really take heed of um, what Adam and Phoenix have uh, shared with us, uh, and and do take action. Uh, you're both completely right. This is going to need some some big changes. The people who are currently able to make those decisions are not acting, uh, and pressure needs to be applied. So write, uh, call, whisper in the ear of anyone that you can that, that could have a have an impact on this. Uh, I also ask you to share this around so it can get to as many people as possible uh, so more people can hear like this long-form discussion about what's currently happening in the sector instead of just a couple of dozen headlines every month uh, that are framing uh, this increasingly dire crisis uh, in terms that really don't help us to interrogate what's actually happening in the education sector uh, and often try and pit uh, parents uh, and other uh, interested members of society directly against teachers. Share it around, uh, let people know where you stand on this and yeah, hopefully we can see some movement. uh, If not before the election, um, then very swiftly afterwards. God, I hope so. (laughs) that's been another episode of one of 200 we'll catch you on the weekend for our current events
distinction words upon now is paid with good intentions and I'll admit that I'm at a loss to what to say when they quote this as a cost we ought to stay cause I live amongst the people every day in this vindictive forgetful fucking rain it feels like we're on the road to hell 